Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. Before we begin, a reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what is right for you. Any general tax information is provided as a guide only. With that out of the way, here's Shane. G'day everyone and welcome to the latest issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast series. And this week we're going to have a look at the perils of forecasting and investing and three things for investors to consider in relation to investment forecasts. Now the latest client note by Howard Marks. Now he's the co-founder and co-chair of Oak Tree Capital, which is an alternative investment manager focusing on distressed debt, caught my attention. It's called The Illusion of Knowledge and it's about the futility of investing to drive investment decisions. In particular, it inspired me to revisit what I've written on the subject over many years, particularly so given the extreme moves in economic activity, inflation, interest rates, and so on associated with the pandemic and its aftermath, along with the increasing geopolitical issues we're seeing all at a time of increasing access to information and opinion via social media and the flow on of all of this to investment markets. So it's pretty pertinent issue right now. now. Of course, I, as an economist, am called on regularly to provide forecasts for economic and investment variables like growth, interest rates, currencies, and shares, and so on. These usually come in the form of point forecasts as to where the variable will be in, say, a year's time or its rate of return. Such forecasts have become part and parcel of the investment industry. In fact, forecasts whether it's in relation to the environment, economics, the weather, politics, coronavirus have become a part of everyday life. And I reckon many people would have more than one app on their phone relating to weather forecasts. Now, of course, economic and investment forecasts are useful as a means of communicating a view, as an input to the construction of budgets, and as a base case against which to assess risks and formulate economic policy. But relying too much on precise forecasts can be dangerous. And I think this was demonstrated amply through the pandemic, where economic variables turned out radically different at various points in time to what many had assumed. And of course, more recently, with the surge in inflation and its aftermath, and those problems have been magnified by geopolitical uncertainty. But there's nothing new in relation to any of this. Now, if forecasting was easy, you wouldn't be listening to this and I wouldn't be recording it. We would all be very rich and sipping champagne in the south of France. So that's what everyone says. We might be doing something even, even better than that. My first manager in my career drummed it into me that forecasting is difficult because it concerns the future, which of course is a statement of the obvious, but that's the reason it's difficult. The difficulty of getting economic forecasts right is reflected in a long list of jokes and quotes about economists and forecasters. Here's just a couple. Three economists went target shooting. First missed by a metre to the right, the second missed by a metre to the left, and the third economist exclaimed, we got it. Economists exist to make weather forecasters and astrologists look good. I reckon epidemiologists uh, may fit in there somewhere as well. An economist will know tomorrow why the things she or he predicted yesterday didn't happen. And of course, there's been quite insightful comments over the years by people like John Kenneth Galbraith, who observed that there are two classes of economic forecasters, those who don't know and those who don't know, they don't know. And of course, Peter Bernstein observed once that forecasters create the mirage that the future is knowable, which I guess uh, partly comes back to the title of Howard Marx's client note. In many ways, forecasters have been known to be hit and miss. And that's particularly the case around major dislocations. Regularly, surveys of economic forecasts are compiled and published and is well known when the consensus or the average forecast is compared to the actual outcome, it's often wide of the mark. This is particularly so when there has been a major change in direction or dislocation for the variable being considered, such as around events like the tech wreck 
or the GFC or the recent surge in inflation. So just when you want to rely most on forecasts can be when they get it most wrong. This applies not only to economists forecasts for economic variables, but also to share analysts forecasts for company profits and to most forecasts across most disciplines. Where precise linear relationships apply, for example, where A equals B, e.g. in predicting the date and time of the next eclipse, forecasting can be seen as relatively easy. But when you've got relationships that are non-linear and complex, as in economics, investing, and in most things that people like to forecast, where, for example, a slight shift in the balance can result in A equals B, or it could equal C, or it could equal D, E, F, and G, forecasting is a lot more difficult. I think many of us have heard over the years of the butterfly effect. Slight change, flutter of the wings of the butterfly in Brazil can dramatically affect things a long way away. And forecasting that is incredibly difficult. And of course, the bigger the call, invariably, the bigger the miss. I reckon one of the best books I've come across about the perils of forecasting was by Dan Gardner, published in 2011 by Plume Publishing, and it's called Future Babble. So if you're really interested in this topic, and want to follow it up, that book is particularly worth looking at. It's both an excellent and entertaining guide to the issues around forecasting. There are numerous examples, I reckon, and many of those are covered in that book, of gurus using grand economic and demographic financial theories, usually resulting in forecasts of new eras or great depressions, or with assessments like there's too much debt, which will cause an implosion, or house and share prices are way too high and they're guaranteed to crash, who may get their time in the sun, but who also usually spend years before or after losing money. For example, the gurus who foresaw a new era in the late 1990s on the back of the IT boom with books like Dow 36,000 look crazy in the early 2000s tech wreck, even though on a very long-term basis, you could say they were right, but they would have lost a lot of money in the process. And many of those who did get the tech wreck or the GFC right were bearish for years before and would have lost their fortune if they had shorted shares when they first got bearish. Grand prognostications of doom can be particularly alluring and wrong. Cause that the world is about to bump into some physical limit causing some sort of great dislocation or disruption, famine, economic catastrophe, have been made with amusing regularity over the last few hundred years. Think of Thomas Malthus, Paul Ehrlich's The Population Bomb of 1968, The Club of Rome Predictions, on the limits of growth in 1972, and the peak oil fanatics who have regularly been telling us that oil will run out and we will all be ruined in the process. Such Malthusian analyses underestimate resources, the role of price increases in driving change, and human ingenuity in facilitating it. Hopefully, worst case predictions of a climate catastrophe will also prove wrong for similar reasons. In other words, actions will hopefully head that off and the forecast will prove to be wrong. And when you're reading books like those from Harry S. Dent about the Great Depression ahead, all of which had disaster happening well before now, just recall there has been a long list of such prognostications for Great Depression, often linked to a debt-related implosion, the bulk of which turned out to be wrong. Amongst my favourites for Ravi Batra's book, The Great Depression of 1990. Well, that didn't happen, so it was just delayed to the crash of the millennium that foresaw an inflationary depression. Of course, that didn't happen either. If you Google... The words, the coming depression, when I did it today, in fact, I found that there were 370 million search results. If I did that five years ago, there was only 72.3 million search results on the coming depression. So it ain't easy to forecast. The psychology of forecasting partly explains this. Forecasts, I reckon, need to be treated with care for a bunch of reasons. Firstly, forecasters, like everyone, suffer from psychological biases. The tendency to assume the current state of the world will continue 
tendency to look mostly for confirming evidence and put aside evidence which is contrary to your views, the tendency to only slowly adjust forecast and new information, excessive confidence in their forecasting ability and so on. Point forecasts, I think, are particularly problematic. They convey no information about the risks. They are conditional upon information available when the forecast is made. For example, that the ASX will be, say, 7,000 by December 31st. And as new information appears, the forecast should change. Setting an investment strategy for the year ahead based on forecasts at the start of the year and not adjusting for new information is a great way to lose money. This is particularly problematic if you only have access to forecasts periodically. So if you only look at them every six months, in between times, the forecaster will have changed their mind to be more attuned with what's actually happening. In investment management, you could also point out that what ultimately counts is the relative direction of one investment alternative versus others. Precisely where they might end up at a particular point in time is of less consequence. And finally, the difficulty in forecasting financial variables is made harder by the need to work out what is already factored into markets. Sometimes the market sets sensible share prices based on economic developments. Other times it is very unstable. Swinging from euphoria to pessimism, trying to distill that into a precise forecast is not easy. In the quest to be right, the danger is that clinging to a forecast will end up losing money. As Ned Davis has pointed out, for investors, the key is to make money not to be right with some forecast. So why are forecasts treated with such reverence? I think there's a bunch of reasons. Some people just look in the rear view mirror and say that everything is clear and obvious and so assume that the future must be easy to discern as well and anyone who has expertise can do that. Secondly, people hate uncertainty and will try anything to, to remove it. So precise quantitative forecasts seem to provide a degree of certainty in an otherwise uncertain world. And if we don't have the expertise, the experts must know. And finally, prognosticators of doom can be alluring as investors suffer from a behavioural trait known as loss aversion, in that a loss in financial wealth is felt far more keenly than the beneficial impact of a same size gain. That leaves people risk averse. And it also leaves us predisposed to bad news, which is why bad news stories sell, as opposed to good. So prognosticators of gloom are often treated with a lot of reverence and are regularly revered as deep thinkers. So what should investors do given these issues around forecasting? Now, if we simply relied on point forecasts for key investment market variables like the share market, bond yields, and the exchange rate to set our investment strategy, I know it would not lead to particularly great results for our clients. By the same token, it's not possible to avoid some sort of forecasting altogether. Investors who rely, for example, on charting, looking at past patterns in share price or exchange rate movements, are assuming that those patterns will continue into the future. Value investors are relying on implicit assumptions that things will revert to some sort of mean over time. And long-term investors in growth assets are assuming that economic progress will favour growth assets over the long term as they have historically. All of which, despite claims to the contrary, involves some form of forecasting. So what should one do? In my opinion, there are three things to consider in the light of the issues raised in this podcast. First one is minimize the reliance on expert forecasts, particularly point forecasts and grad prognostications. They're probably the most risky. While point forecasts can help communicate a view, the real value in investment experts, the good ones at least, is to provide a better understanding of the issues around investing, a better understanding of what's going on now and to put things in context so as to avoid making silly mistakes in investing. While financial history doesn't repeat, it does rhyme. And so in many cases, we have seen a version of what may be currently concerning the market before. This is particularly important in being able to turn down the noise and focus on long-term investment strategy to meet one's investment goals. Second, 
and I think this is critical, invest for the long term. Way back in the 1970s, Charles Ellis, a US investment professional, observed that for most of us, investing is a loser's game. Now, a loser's game is where bad play by the loser determines the victor. Amateur tennis is a classic example where the trick is to avoid stupid mistakes and win by not losing. The best way for most investors to avoid losing at investments is to invest for the long term. Finally, if you are going to rely on actively managing your investments, make sure you have a disciplined process relying on a wide range of indicators such as valuations, uh, measures of market liquidity, you might even look at charting, that does have some value, and also where we are in the investment cycle. Bottom line from all of this, it is tempting to believe that you or someone else can perfectly forecast the market. Getting markets right is hard enough. And even if you do, there are plenty of investors who have been right on some market call but lost a bundle by executing too early or hanging onto it for too long. The key is to know where expert views can be of use, be humble and stick to a long-term investment strategy designed specifically to attain your goals. And if you are going to actively manage your investments, make sure you have a disciplined process. So I hope that's been of some value. There is a written version of this, of course, if you want to chase it up on our website. But in the meantime, all the best. Adios, until we meet again. Thank you. Now to stay up to date from Dr. Oliver and the Simplifying Investing podcast series more broadly, be sure to subscribe on your favourite streaming platform. That way, you'll never miss an episode. We'll be back soon, but before we go, a quick reminder that all topics discussed today are general in nature and haven't taken your personal circumstances into account. It's important you consider taking tailored financial advice that is relevant to your own situation before making any important financial decisions.